0: Good morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, we're going to be in chapter 139, and as you are turning to Psalm 139, I'm going to uh, start talking to you about Moses, Okay, and Moses has nothing to do with Psalm 139, but I think Moses has something to inform us about our lesson today about adoration and about worship, and so uh, as you're turning to Psalm 139, I'm going to talk to you about Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, And so when Moses was getting the people ready to go into the Promised Land, even though he was not going to be joining them in the Promised Land, he stopped them right in front of the Jordan, right before they were going to cross over, and he began to give them a sermon or a message, what we have as the book of Deuteronomy. And the great thing about the book of Deuteronomy is if you understand what is going on in the book of Deuteronomy, the rest of the Old Testament just fills right in. Okay? The Old Testament it, um, goes with the blessings and the cursings. And if the people were, or were in favor with God, God was going to bless them. But if they were not obeying God, he was going to curse them. And he's giving them this message. And he starts by reminding them of their history, where they've been, that it, God had brought them out of Egypt, that he had brought them to Sinai, that they had rebelled against the Lord. And that for 40 years they had died off a generation in the wilderness. But now they're about to enter it. And he's telling them who they are and what they need to do, how they need to respond, how they need to live. And I believe that he did this, that he spent these 30 chapters, these 34 chapters, talking to them about this principle because he understood something that Calvin would later describe as the human heart being an idle factory. From the very first moments that we are able to live and breathe and able to comprehend things, our hearts are adept to making idols of everything that's out there. Our heart is so easy, easily turned away from God and the things of God. And Moses is saying, you're going to go into these places. And you're going to be tempted to go away from the one true God. And you need to stay and worship Him and adore Him alone. You see, adoration is giving honor and giving love and respect to someone who you feel deserves it. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at who deserves our adoration, and we believe that's God. But we know that it's true, that our hearts are so easily turned away. When I was nine, year old, nine years old, I had given my heart to something, and even though if you asked me if I had trusted Christ, and I would have said yes, my heart really was given to the Washington Redskins. Okay. Now, I'm probably not very many of you are Washington Redskins fans, and that's fine, but I wore the colors, I knew the songs and the chants, and I knew the players. I can still tell you who was on the 91 championship roster. Okay, like I, I was all in. And when I was nine years old, they were playing on Monday night football. And Monday night football, for those of you who are not a football fan, is a big deal. And as a nine-year-old, I went up to my parents and said, Mom, they're playing the Dallas Cowboys. And the Dallas Cowboys haven't won a game this year. And they're our hated rivals. Can I stay up and watch Monday night football? And to my surprise, my parents said, Yes, you can stay up and watch Monday night football. And they even let me have snacks after dinner. And they let me watch the game in their room, on their bed, with their television. It was great up until the point where the game started and the Redskins got drilled. Now, if you look in the record books, Dallas Cowboys in 1989 went 1 in 15. And I got to see the one. And as a nine-year-old, I was not very happy. And I huffed and puffed my way to bed. And it was going to be an early morning with school the next morning. So my parents came in to get me. But when they walked in my room, I wasn't there. And so they did a little searching in my room. And they eventually found me. And I was off on the other side of the bed, sleeping on the floor, clutching my NFL pillow. They woke me up and they said, Brian, what's wrong? What's going on? And I said, if the Washington Redskins can't beat the Dallas Cowboys, then I don't deserve to sleep in a bed. Now, thankfully, I've, I've adjusted that stance in my life, or I, I, I wouldn't be sleeping in a bed all that often in the fall. But it is very easy for us to give our hearts to something, to be so wrapped up in the things of this world that it takes our focus and our energy and everything that we have. And so often we give our value to lesser things, like the Washington Redskins, that don't really matter. And I know none of you give yourself to the Kansas Jayhawks, or you wouldn't be here right now. Just kidding. But the reality is, is that there is one person who deserves our adoration, and that's God. And so look at Psalm, let's look at Psalm 139, and we're going to see why we adore Him. Psalm 139, 1 and 2 say this, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. So David is saying, this is like a past tense, you have searched me and known me, I haven't given you permission to do this, I haven't asked you to do this, you have done it on your own and you know every detail about me, you know when I sit, you know when I stand and that last line is the scary one. You discern my thoughts from afar. You see, I can come in here and I can portray myself in a certain way by the way I act or the way that I speak. And you have no idea what's going on inside of my head. And I have no idea what's going on inside of your head. And I bet oftentimes that we are really glad that those thought bubbles don't exist. Every one of those thoughts, God knows. David continues in verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. It is beyond what I can, I, I can fathom how deep and how much you know about me. The night is bright as day, for the darkness is as light with you. Now, it wasn't written yet, and it had not occurred yet, but this little passage there reminds me of the story of Jonah. How Jonah thought that he could escape from the presence of the Lord and got on a ship and tried to go in the opposite direction, but there was nowhere that he could go to get away from his God. And God found him and had him thrown overboard and was swallowed up by the belly of the great fish. And there in the deepest, darkest recess of Jonah's life, God was there because his light cannot be stamped out. And he redeemed him in the pit. Verse 13. when as yet there was none of them. And so David is saying there's this moment from birth all the way to this time that's now, and you know every detail of that period of time. You know all of my actions, all my thoughts, all my words. I can't hide them from you. You know them all, and that is mind-blowing. But even more so than that, before I was born, when I was being formed, and you were fearfully and wonderfully making me, you knew all the days and details of my life. You have searched me and know me. You know everything about me. How great is our God. And then we get to his problem in verse 19 through 22. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. God, I have a problem with these people over here, and I need you to deal with them, but I know that oftentimes I can be just like them. And so what I need you to do, God, is these last four verses. I need you to search me, O God, and know my heart. I need you to try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You see, his posture changed from you have searched me and known me to search me and know me. I'm going to lay everything bare in front of you. Hebrews 4.12 will say the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It can split between bone and marrow. It basically leaves you naked before the Lord. There is nothing that he can't see. Why is David okay doing this? Why is he okay bearing himself before the Lord? Because he knows that he can be worshipped. Because he has searched us and he has known us. Yet he still loves us. Isn't that amazing? He knows every detail of our lives. He knows the stories that we don't want to tell anyone else. He knows the deepest, darkest recesses of our thoughts, yet He still loves us. And He proved that in the sending of His Son. You see, while we were still sinners, Christ came and He died for us. He paid our penalty. He took our sin on the cross. And by raising from the dead, He killed sin and death. And no longer will they have any power over anyone who trusts in Christ. Because God has searched us. He has known us. And He's, yet, He still loves us. You see, we, make a, we have this thing. And we believe that we can, if we can just put on a good image. Or if we can just do enough things. People won't know the real us. and we can come and hide. And the reality is there's nothing that we can hide before our God. And He is calling us to this passage. He's saying, let me search you. Let me know you. Let me see if there's any wrong way in you. Because I want to lead you in the way everlasting. I believe that this is not something that we do regularly enough. And so we're going to do something a little unusual. We're going to take a break right now in our message. And Bill's going to come out, and Bill's going to play music for a couple minutes. And I want to give you a chance right here, right now, to talk to your Creator. Creator. And to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. This might be a first for some of you. This might be a common thing for others of you. But what I want right now is for you to take some time to sit before the Lord. If there's things that you know that you need to confess to come to your mind instantly, do that. Confess those today. Maybe you just need to give him permission to do that in your life take these few next few moments as bill plays and do that <laughs> For some of you, two minutes feels like an eternity, and for some of you, two minutes is just getting started. Wherever you find yourself in your conversation with God, I pray that it would continue, because I have good news for you. Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that you need to fear when you bear your soul before him, because he already knows, he has already seen, and yet he loves you anyway. May we be people who regularly are confessing before the Lord, who are regularly saying, search me and try me. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me on your path. He is worthy to be worshipped because he has searched us, he has known us, and he still loves us. Second reason this morning that we want to talk about him being worthy of our adoration is that he is faithful regardless of our circumstances. We're going to look at a, a, a few passages here really quickly starting in Psalm 140. Psalm 140, verses 1 through 5. Here David says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongues sharp as a serpent's and under their lips as the venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from the violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me with cords, they have spread a net. Beside the way, they have set snares for me. In Psalm 142, 1-4, through 4, David says this. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Psalm 143, 3 and 4 says it this way. For as the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. But that same David also writes this in Psalm 144, 12 through 15. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. Our daughters like corner pillars, cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings we have both sides of the spectrum. We have the years of plenty and the years of good where the Lord's blessing is, at, is evident in our lives. We, really, we realize that every good gift comes from the Father above and we're able to see that and, and reside in that good place. And we realize that our God is faithful during those times. But we also have the other side where our walls are coming crashing in on us, where it feels like we're being attacked from every side, whether it be from our own sin that's coming back to get us or from, just be from outside circumstances that are causing us harm right now. We're going to find ourselves in both places. The good and the bad, our circumstances will come and they will go and they will change. But regardless of where you find yourself, we believe that the Lord is faithful. Let's look at the response of David in each of these psalms. In Psalm 140, he spends 11 verses talking about the ill that is going on in his life, but he ends with 12 and 13. He says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. In 142, where no one cared and there was no refuge, he said in 5 through 7, I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, and you will deal bountifully with me. Psalm 143. After his spirits are fainting and his heart is appalled, he says in 5 and 6, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Verse 10 through 12, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. And the last line of Psalm 144. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. The reason that we can look and say our God is faithful to us regardless of our circumstance is because we can look at the past. David says, I remember the days of old. We can look at the scriptures and how David and Moses and Joshua and saint after saint after saint, believer after believer, they were able to look at the Lord's past and see how he has been faithful to them in the past and he'll be faithful to them in the future. It brings up a line that I've learned from seminary and I've never forgotten. And if this is the only thing you take with me today, I will consider that a win. What God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what he will do in the future. You can look at what God has done in the past and the faithfulness of the lives of people in Scripture and the faithfulness of what he has done in your life. If he has done in the past, he will do it in the future where he has shown love and salvation and steadfast love in the past. He will do that for you, whether in this life or the life that is to come. You see, we get to look at the pages of Scripture and say, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Because we can look at his past track record of faithfulness and say, God, we trust you to show up. And we trust you to do what only you can do because you will be faithful to us regardless of our circumstance. And because of that, He and He alone is worthy of our worship. And our last point this morning of why He is worthy of our worship is just because of who He is. We adore Him because of who He is. Let's look at Psalm 145. Psalm 145 says this I will extol you, my God and King. And bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your acts, your works to another. And shall declare your mighty acts. And then in verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Because of the person of God and the plan of God and the person of God and the work of God, he is worthy of everything that we have. He is worthy of our utter adoration for our hearts to be aligned and attuned to him and to him alone. And so we've we've looked at these points, and I, I really don't believe they're all that controversial or that there'd be that much disagreement in them. I think we can very, very quickly look at the pages of scripture which is pointing to the goodness and greatness of God and say, yeah, He is worthy. He is worthy because He loved us despite knowing us. And He is worthy because of who He is and He is worthy because He is faithful time after time to us no matter where we find ourselves. But the problem that we have is that our hearts are human idol factories that it just takes a moment, a blink of an eye, or just a little bit of space, and our hearts are turned from him to another. And so what are some things that we can do in our lives so that our adoration is to the only one who deserves it? When Moses was talking to the people that were about to go into the promised land, he gave them from God some very clear instructions. He said, you're going to go into the promised land And you're going to demolish these people and you're going to demolish their gods and you're going to wipe them clean of everything that is there because if you don't, they will come back to bite you and grab your heart. And so the first thing that I think we need to do is we need to to demolish distractions. We need to demolish distractions. We need to get rid of them because if we don't, they will come back to bite us. It's often been said that if we are not actively killing sin, then sin will be killing us. And our hearts, whether it's something simple like a football game or for it's something where as adults we get into our career and we get into sports with kids and all sorts of different areas, we let them take over. And they're not bad things. They are good gifts from the one who gives all good gifts. But when we turn a good thing into a God thing, that good thing becomes a bad thing. We need to demolish the distractions that are at work in our lives that turn our adoration from the one and only. The second thing that I think we need to do is we need to get into community. We can't do this alone. There is this lie, I believe, in the American church that if I have myself and I have Jesus, I have all that I need. And I don't want you to hear me say that you need more than that for salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no coming to the Father except through Him. But the way Jesus has set up this spiritual life is that you need the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church. You cannot do it on your own, and you need to be in groups where you could be known because those things that will capture your heart are hard to deal with, and you need brothers and sisters who can pray for you, who can help you, and who can pull you out of the pit in your time of need. Do not buy into the lie that I can do this by myself. Do not buy into the lie that it's okay just to hide everything within and let no one else know. Your God knows. He has searched you and known you. Open yourselves up to the people of the body of Christ. Because this is our protection. Each other. The last thing that I believe that we need to do is that we need a daily devotion with Jesus. We need a daily devotion with Jesus. If we are not daily spending time in God's word and before the Lord pouring out our heart in prayer, then we are giving space for us to have our hearts turn to something else. We said that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is what splits us. It is what lays us open. We need to let the word of God wash over us and cleanse us as the Spirit has free reign in our lives. And the best way to say, search me and try me, know that there's any grievous way in me, is to do it in the pages of Scripture as you're talking to God. You see, our problem is not, w- will we worship or will we adore something? That has been built into us by our God. God. When a new parent is handed that child for the first time, there's not a manual that comes with it that says, you need to now love your child. There's something in the human heart that says, oh my goodness, give him to me. I want, I want that child in my arms. I, I, I love him though. I'm just now meeting him for the first time. God has wired us to adore things. He has wired our hearts to be t- attuned to things. The question is not will we worship. We worship every day. Our lives are an act of praise to something. We are sacrificing things in our lives all the time for things of our affection. The question is, what is our affection? Or more importantly, who will get our affection? I think we could show you from the Psalms and really from all of God's word that there is only one who, des- who deserves adoration in our lives is the one who has searched us and known us and still loves us. It's the one who is faithful regardless of our circumstance. He alone is worthy of everything we have to give. The question is, will we give it to him? Will we worship him when we leave his place? We're going to sing some songs here in just a moment, but we're going to hit the parking lot, and then the real life is going to take back over. We're going to go back to our jobs. We're going to go back to school. Will we put these things in place? so that he will get our adoration and he alone. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words of David. And I thank you that in his rough times and his good times, he cried out to you and he told us about who you were. Father, may no one leave here today with any doubt of who God is and how much you have loved us through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that our hearts are so attuned in adoration to Him that we can't help but give Him our all. Father, as we stand and sing, I, I, I pray that it would go beyond just words on a screen; that we would we, we would know how to behave in a certain situation, Father. But that we would pour out our hearts in adoration to You for all that You've done and all that You are. And that as we leave this place, that our hearts would be one consistent beat of adoration.